If you guys have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. We'll just look at that verse for this morning. I'll read that verse and then we'll ask the Lord again for his help to consider his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is in the New Testament. It's the book after Romans. Verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for this wonderful grace of being able to gather together. And especially now as we come to your word. Lord, we pray to you that your Holy Spirit would be opening our hearts and eyes to understand and see your truth and to receive it and be changed by it. Please speak to us, Lord, and help us to draw closer to you now through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's that verse we're looking at this morning, and it comes in the whole context. You know, ideally, we would have read the whole of chapter two, but that's something you can do in your own time. But here, Paul is describing right at the beginning of chapter two, when he comes to the city of Corinth, he writes to the Corinthian church, here's my approach when I came to you. I didn't come using all this great human wisdom, all this philosophy, all this wonderful ways of speech. I just came and simply spoke to you about Jesus and his cross and his resurrection. Very plain. He says, I wanted to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he says that he did that especially so that it would be only because of God's power that they would believe such a simple message. And then the people there who believe would realize, well, it's not because we've been tricked by, you know, smooth talk from a really smart guy, but it's because God has done something. And along that line, he begins to talk about, you know, the fact that people who do come to believe and to come to know God, something's different about them. They're termed as spiritual versus those who are natural. And it all comes to a head here in this verse 14. It bears reading again. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, and they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And right here is a truth which is essential for us as a church to understand and live according to, and it is a truth which is so pushed back against so hated, and in fact goes against what we might think of as, as human logic, our natural reasoning. What is it saying? If we were to summarize in, in kind of more casual, colloquial New Zealand language, it's saying that you as a human being, naturally as you are, in all the extent of your abilities intellectually and everything else, all of it is not enough to truly know God. It's not sufficient to accept and receive and understand the spiritual truths of God. The simplest thing about his kingdom, you are not able to receive. You are not able to understand them as you should, naturally as you are. In fact, Paul says in this letter earlier in chapter one, that God and his wisdom made it so that the world and its wisdom could not know God. And he does it so that God alone would have all the glory. People wouldn't boast. But it's a, it's a shocking verse. It confronts us because naturally as human beings, we are very liable to think that, well, the best people, they deserve the best. Those who are smarter, those who are more disciplined, more religious, more ethical, more moral, surely those are the ones, if anyone deserves it, 
They are the ones who are going to come to know God and to come in a right standing with Him. And so we pride ourselves when we find ourselves in that elite class and we look down on others when they're not. That's the natural human instinct. And that's how the world here in this world works. If you work hard, you naturally should get paid more. That's a natural law that we expect. But you see why it's so confronting. That is not so with the kingdom of God. Now let's just break it down very carefully and look in this verse. These two things that we're being taught about the natural person and about the person who is termed spiritual. We see here that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, and he is not able to understand them. What's an analogy to help us to think about what you are like as a human being apart from any interaction from God? We're talking about every one of us naturally born to this world the way we are. And when you look around this room, Auckland is such a cosmopolitan city. We all come from different uh, ethnicities, different backgrounds. We have so many different preferences. Some are tall, some are short, right? Some are loud, some are quiet. Different personalities ranging from all over the place. And yet the Bible says, or the blanket statement, every single one of us naturally, what are we like? Well, here's the best illustration that I can think of. You know, in nature, uh, you guys heard of the Bengal tiger in India? Magnificent, wonderful beast. But I wonder if you've ever thought, why in the world is it orange? Because orange really sticks out in in the bush. Because nothing else in the wild is orange. And if the tiger depends on being stealthy in order to get its prey, why in the world is it orange? Black would be better because at least when it's darker and there's less light, it'd be harder to see. I wonder, children, if you've ever wondered this, why is the tiger orange if it has to sneak up on other animals? Well, interestingly, and I have to give my thanks to the documentaries, you know, that that people tell us, obviously, I don't know this naturally, but their primary prey the deer, I believe it's called the chitto deer. They, in their eyes, only have two color receptors. Human beings have three. And because of that, they can't perceive the spectrum of color from yellow to red. And so, because mammals can't produce the color green in our fur, in, in the fur of the, you know, the tiger. So the next best thing is to be orange. And therefore, when the deer looks at the bush, and the tiger is there in its orange fur, it can't perceive the orange. So everything just looks like a muted green. And so it's interesting, isn't it? And it's because of that the tiger can sneak up because the deer is unable to see the tiger. In a way, we can say this, it's missing something in its eye. Whereas we as human beings can see it because we have a third color receptor. And of course, there are other animals that have more. For example, bees can see UV color, which we can't. We we have to use special equipment. And other animals can see infrared and other such things. They can sense more than we can sense. But what the Bible here is saying is that every one of us as human beings, we're lacking something. You might metaphorically say a spiritual organ, spiritual eyes, but we're lacking something. And therefore, we cannot see God. We're blind to Him. The things of God, when we hear it, they sound foolish. They are folly. They don't make sense to us. There are things that even if we could understand on a purely intellectual basis, in our heart, we don't want to accept it. We will not receive it because there is something lacking. And that's why Jesus himself, when he was teaching Nicodemus in John chapter 3, says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
And Nicodemus is confused. Do you mean a man has to get into his mother's womb a second time and be born? No. Jesus says, unless you're born of the water and of the spirit, born from on high, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You realize what this is saying about you as a human being. What God's analytical diagnosis of your nature as a creature, your position before God is not so good as merely being a little confused about who he is. Human beings are not just a little bit misguided. We just need a little bit of help. Human beings are not in such a good position as we just need a little education to set us right. Do you see what God is saying? Every one of us as human beings are in such a terrible place of darkness. We can't even see God. We don't even know who God is except the bare basics. There's so many things that we're in darkness about. And apart from God doing something, the creator of the universe, giving us an organ that we don't have because of our, our fallen sinful nature, then we can't draw near to him no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we dedicate our life efforts to seeking and to knowing God. You see what this is saying? Human beings are in a terrible, dark, and blinded place. And well, in fact, you might say, well, how do we get such spiritual eyes to see God? Well, Paul in this chapter makes it very, very clear. You can look in verse 10, just in this chapter earlier. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So in the end, all of it depends on God, the creator of all human beings. And he is the only one who can fix human beings. That's what we're saying. And I want you to just think about how utterly counter world this is to every world philosophy there is out there. Everything out there in this world tells us there is something wrong with this world. There's something wrong with you as a human being. We know that because there's tons of interpersonal conflict. There's tons of self-conflict. There's a lot of things that's not right with your life. As human beings, there's something that's broken. The difference is, where are we to find the solution? And anything apart from God, the, the, the answer is it's, it's within this world. Perhaps you find it in our government. Perhaps you find it in this religious teacher. Perhaps you find it within yourself. Perhaps you find it just by trying harder or by being more moral. But whatever the answer is, it puts the focus back on the things of this world. It says, if only you had this here, if you were richer, if you were healthier, then all of your problems would be solved. But the Bible tells us very honestly, the answer cannot be found in this world. Only God himself can fix us. What's broken doesn't fix what's broken. A shattered pot cannot fix itself. The potter must come and fix it together. It's very simple to understand, but it is a truth which we in our pride absolutely hate. The human being says, you saying, I can't help myself. I need a savior. No, thank you. I mean, just, just look how naturally we as human beings hate to be dependent on other people. We hate to owe other people. We love to say that I can do everything myself. It's really funny because I have young kids and it's astounding what they think they can do on their own. And while part of that is a good, healthy thing for them to grow independent, there are things which they cannot do, which they need their parents to do. And the fact of the matter is, no matter how old and how independent you are now, on spiritual matters, you are completely dependent upon God. Because apart from Him, doing something in your heart, 
giving you something which you do not have naturally, you cannot understand and accept the things of the Spirit of God. And therefore, you will continue to remain a stranger to Him, alienated from the source of all life and not possessing the blessing that comes from knowing Him. That's what the Bible tells us so frankly. Now, having known that, what does that mean for you? Well, I want to ask a very simple question right there. The way we can tell whether or not we have been changed and transformed by God, whether or not he has done something in us to make us what Paul talks about as a spiritual person versus a natural person, here is the evidence or the result, you might say, by which we can kind of test and examine. The natural person does not accept the things of God. Now, that's a very important word that is used. The word is accept. Now, it goes on to talk about not understand, but it's very important that Paul uses that word accept. Why? Because the fact of the matter is there are things that the Bible teaches that are understandable intellectually. The difference is, will such a person, once they even get clear in their mind, the different doctrines and teachings, but the difference is, will they receive it and accept it into their hearts and into their lives? I'll give you a very simple example. Imagine if I invited you over to my place for a meal and I whipped you up this dinner that I said I just spent so long cooking it, four hours, slow cook, all that kind of stuff. I put so much effort into it. You look at it, you examine it, you smell it, you say, this looks delicious. But you won't eat it. I might feel pretty offended as a host, especially if I ask you, why won't you eat it? Well, it looks good. I understand it, but I just don't want to eat it. I don't want to accept what you have made for me. And I won't accept your food into my stomach. No, thank you. It's a pretty offensive thing to do, isn't it? If somebody has spent all that time cooking something for you and you won't eat it. Or imagine this, if a friend says, I'll come pick you up and we'll go to a party later. And they drive there to your house and they say, get into the car. You examine the car. Everything's working fine. And you say, but I won't accept your ride. I won't get into the car. See, there's a difference between merely intellectually comprehending certain facts and certain propositions and actually accepting something and having it change our lives. Because if you eat my food, whatever is in my food, it's going to be impacting your life. If I didn't clean it properly, you'll have food poisoning. If your friend is not a good driver, you'll be involved in the crash that follows. But the fact of the matter is when we accept things, it is something that impacts our lives. And it is a frightful thing that there are many who go to church faithfully Sunday after Sunday, and they can rattle off intellectually a comprehension of the truth which God teaches, but they have not received it so that their lives are changed. And all of it showing they might yet still be but a natural person because the natural person does not accept the things of God. In the end, The things of God seem foolish to them, folly to them. Here is God saying to them, the most important thing in your life is to be right with me. And the person says, well, that makes sense to my logical mind, but I will chase money instead in my life. But my fleshly pleasures are more important to me. The Bible says to you, your sins against God will ruin your soul for all eternity. And the man says, that makes sense, but... I just can't let go of this little pleasure I have. It just feels too good. In the end, such a person show they are yet still a natural person. 
Because the spiritual person must be in opposition to this. The spiritual person accepts the things of God. He understands them the way they should be understood. Not only to be understood intellectually, but to be received and lived upon. And when they understand that, well, to be right with God is the most important thing in my life, then they actually make it a priority. Well, there's the question to you. Where do you see the evidence of your life pointing you to? If somebody else, as a third-party neutral observer, looked upon your life, not just what you say to people on a Sunday, not just what you put up as a pretense, but all of you in your private moments, where nobody else can see you, would they see that your life choices and habits and actions demonstrate that you are a spiritual person who has received and accepted the truths which God has revealed concerning you and your need for him, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and our need for him, concerning how wonderful he is. Are you living upon these wonderful truths which God has revealed? Even in the most simple question, does God matter to you in the final account? Or can you go on living your life without any reference to God, except perhaps on a Sunday, because culturally speaking, that's how you were brought up. Well, those are some searching questions that I must leave with you. I can't see into your heart, but God can. And I hope you'll take these questions seriously. Because again, to remain as a natural person is to remain in darkness and in blindness and in death. That's what the Bible tells us. And so it's a very confronting, but it's a very serious question. But I also said at the beginning that this is the truth that we as a church must get clear. Why, why is it so important for us as believers? Well, I'm sure you know this. Have you ever thought, why did I come to believe in the first place? Why did I come to be a Christian? You might even have had siblings or friends who had maybe the exact same influences upon them as it was upon you. You heard the same message. You grew up in the same church. You read the same Bible or so you thought, and yet somehow you believed and they didn't. What's, what's going on here? Am I to be a little bit proud that I was smarter than them? Is that a right thing for me to feel? Am I to feel a little bit of pity for them? They're just less spiritual than me. I'm so wonderful. Is that how I'm to think about myself? And not only that, we are deeply interested in this topic because I hope every one of us as believers who have really tasted fellowship with God, we know that is the greatest blessing that any human being can have. It's what we were made for. It's what satisfies us more than anything. And that means that if we really love those in our lives, we want the same for them. We look around in our family members. We look around in our workmates and our friends, and we see so much sadness and grief, which could be so easily solved if they came to God, if they came to Christ, if they came to the source of all love. And we want the same blessing for them. But that's an important question we ask. Well, how are we to approach them? If it, if it depends on human beings, then that's a real load and burden on your shoulders. You better have the best arguments in order to argue them into heaven. You better have the answers to all of their questions. Because if you don't, then they're not going to know this wonderful gift. You see what a crushing burden is laid upon you if you don't get this question right, if we don't have this properly understood. So let me leave you, dear church, all of you who do know the Lord, why is this so important for you? Number one, knowing this truth, 
that it is God who opens eyes. And it is God alone who must open eyes in order to know him, in order to receive these spiritual truths. Number one, it ought to make you humble. There is no such thing as a proud Christian, properly speaking. Because what this is telling us is that why did you come to believe? It's not because you were better than other people. Let's be honest, you're probably worse than other people. You know your own sins better than you know others. So at least in your own perspective, you're the chief of all sinners. You know the depth of your corruption. And you should be honest enough to know, I didn't come to know God and to follow in his ways and have my life transformed because I was better than other people. And that's why all words and choices and attitudes that is proud and arrogant, all of it is a total anti-opposition to the Christian message. Because how come you came to believe and others didn't? Because God in his mercy and grace chose to open your eyes at such and such time. And purely because he was merciful, not because you deserved it. Nobody deserves it. All of us were born in darkness and away from God. All of us were wanting our own way, living in our sin. And God in his good pleasure, God in his sovereign mercy, decided to save you at the time that he did. So do you have any reason to boast? Or it'd be like a kid boasting that they received a gift. I got a new scooter for Christmas because I deserved it. Such a kid needs to be taught better because such a kid is living in entitlement. We might look at that and say, that's not a good thing for kids to go around saying, I deserve gifts. Gifts by definition should be, we understand, right? They're undeserved. They are something that somebody else gives to you freely. If somebody is forced to give something to you because you did something for them, that becomes wages. That becomes salary. It's no longer a gift. And so if you have come to know God because of the gift of God, the mercy and love of God, you have no right to boast. I pray, God, that none of you this morning as a believer feel that you are better than anybody else because you have not really understood the message of God. We are saved as sinners by mercy. And therefore, we ought to be so humble and not only humble to the ground so as to forget ourselves, we ought to be the happiest people on earth, filled with joy and thanksgiving. You know, that's the proper way to receive a gift. What do gift givers want to see to the people they give gifts to? Wow, this is such a wonderful gift. Thank you. I mean, this Christmas, did you give gifts to anybody? Imagine if they said, oh, you'd be pretty heartbroken if they responded like that. Oh, um, where's, the gift where's the gift exchange voucher? You might be pretty sad if they said something like that. Oh, you should have just given me money. That's pretty awful things to say to people. As a gift giver, what do we want to see to the people we give gifts to? We want to see them joyful, happy, thankful, saying, this is, the, oh, this is so wonderful. I didn't even know I wanted this until you gave it to me. And you see the whole of the Christian life in light of what God has done for us is characterized, ought to be characterized by joy, by rejoicing, by thanksgiving, by saying to God, thank you so much for giving me what I didn't even know I needed. Before I knew you, I had all these problems on my plate that I thought I had. And I didn't realize my problem ran even deeper. Thank you so much for your great love. That's how we should be impacted by this reality. And then how does it impact how we approach other people? Well, if it is up to God ultimately to open their eyes, we should be people 
with bruised and scraped knees. What do I mean by that? People of much prayer. Oh, we've got to be praying. We've got to be praying. A theologian in the 1900s, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, true love for another, for a brother, will pray to Christ more about the brother than talk to the brother about Christ. See, Bonhoeffer understood that ultimately, if it lies with God to open human hearts and take them out of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of his son, Colossians 1, then what are you doing shouldering most of the burden? It doesn't depend on you. You don't have the power. So don't put it on your argumentation. Don't put it on your great reasoning to try and win arguments and force people into God's kingdom. That's not how this works. If it is all onto God, then you must be mostly majority in prayer because we must ask God to move. It's not an exaggeration to say the most efficient thing you can do with your time is pray. Pray. Because we are convinced God must move and he alone can transform. He alone is the one who can transform you. So when you deal with your sins and horrible failures, you must pray. And God alone can remove the heart of stone in those we love so that they're so unfeeling to the things of God. Well, we must pray and pray and pray. And only after saturating, marinating everything in prayer, only then do we move and say, Lord, use me as a channel, as an instrument in your hands. But do you see what the church ought to be like if we understood this clearly? And I wanted us to consider this important truth, especially as we look forward to 2023. I would hope every, every believer in this church who knows the, the blessing and the love of God, we can say a hearty amen to this. We want every single soul in Auckland and New Zealand to know God. We say it without hesitation and embarrassment. Because we have tasted that God is good. That to know him is the greatest blessing. More than anything else anybody could ever have. And therefore we want this blessing for everybody that we could come across. If that is the case, we must be a praying church above all else. If that is the case, you must be, dear believer, a praying man or woman above everything else. And that is something we can't even make true for ourselves. We must pray to God. Help us to receive this truth and to live according to it. So let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, we thank you again that your word, it just tells us the truth. It doesn't flatter us. It doesn't tell us things that we want to hear. It doesn't tickle our ears. It tells us things that confront us. It tells us things that we in our pride don't want to hear, but we must hear because it is reality. Well, Lord, we pray that you'll help every single one of us to get clear in our minds that ultimately you are the one who opens eyes. You are the one who transforms people. You are the one who makes broken souls into whole and living souls. And so we are utterly dependent on you. Lord, have mercy on us. If there are some here this morning who do not yet know you, would you please do something marvelous in their hearts to turn them to you, to open their eyes, to see how wonderful and marvelous your love in the Lord Jesus truly is. And would you please help us as a church to be a praying church praying nonstop for those in our lives that you've put in our lives, praying that they would come to know you. And would you answer our prayers, Lord, so that we may have thanksgiving multiplied to your name, that there would be more and more joy spread throughout this land. And Lord, when we think about this society, we feel so much that it is in darkness. People live in such 
grief and sorrow because they do not know you, the source of all love and life. So please do marvelous things and help us to receive your word. We pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen.